Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is Danielle Ward. Uh, Danielle, what have you brought for us to look at today? So I have brought a sitcom that I absolutely love and whenever I say to myself oh I really like American sitcom I don't really what British sitcoms do I like and then I remember that my favourite sitcom of all time is probably Bottom thing about Bottom is that the one, it, because it's such a kind of fucking carnival that each episode contains dozens and dozens of ideas yeah. doesn't it I mean even just down to things like well, we haven't got a chess set we'll say we'll have to build one out of action figures and sausages you know stuff like that that's a whole set of ideas on its own yeah it's a, it's a bit like um, Rick and Morty in that sense like the thing that yeah. I love about Rick and Morty is how many ideas are in I mean it's also brilliant and funny but it's how many ideas are in there and Bottom's the same because because they've confined themselves in this way they have to really go for the imagination and what I mean I, I don't think you would get to the place of eating a gas man no unless <laughs> unless you'd put yourself in a box because if you can have the the setup of oh we go out for a bit and then we come back for a bit and then someone comes around you know all that sort of stuff you really have to be put the fence around yourself to get those weird ideas they are just talking that's yeah. all they've got they haven't got sets they haven't got other characters necessarily yeah 
immediately to hand. It's not like a an office or a bar or a hospital. Yeah. They've got each other to play off. And so they take an idea for a walk and maybe the joy of this is, is a bit like the joy of that you get with Vic and Bob, that it's two friends who've started from here and they've taken an idea for a walk and they will go through all the ideas they have within that box. The only person who can say no to this is my best friend. Yeah. So we've got to trust each other on yeah. this. So I did a script read through for the BBC a few years ago and it went through that casting process of, yes, we like this random person, this random person, this random person. And they're meant to be playing best friends. And and I think it was a good script and I was really proud of it. But I think where it really fell down was you look at these three people like these aren't three best friends. These yes. do not look like they know each other. This is just the arbitrary casting process of someone at the BBC. If you're going to have that chemistry, it's got to sort of be real. That's why Peep Show is so yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like, you know, and, and that's also why I think something like Red Dwarf works, because I loved Red Dwarf as well, because they're meant to not like each other. So you can get two strangers, yes. stick them together and have the antagonism. You can do that because that is the sit. If the sit is these people have known each other for a long time or they're best friends or, or they've siblings got siblings or something. Yeah, or they've got this weird relationship and then you're just casting two random people you're never gonna find that magic we go back to the audience look in their eyes and see confidence yeah and that you'll have confidence if your best friend's got your back yeah if you're going on this adventure together if their best mate is going to back them up if, if i say something stupid like i'm going to eat the gas man yeah that your best mate looks into the audience and says i dare you to say that guy's not brilliant Do you see in their eyes they're confident in each other and they're going to take this journey together and you can't fake that by bunging just some people who happen to be to share an agent together yeah the, the chemistry i guess is really fascinating i always loved double x when i was younger um uh, the first thing i ever went to see live was cannon and ball when i was nine years old <laughs> i was obsessed with cannon and ball i loved experience them. formative but if you ever watch cannon and ball now they're still really funny if you watch any cannon and ball there's no material it's just a relationship our special guest today is the award-winning writer and performer John Finnemore. How will you be celebrating your millionth gag uh, when you write it? <laughs> the thing is, I don't feel uh, prolific because... Don't you? I know, I don't. Seriously? I mean, you're right. I, mean I, I, I obviously am in the, just how much I've written, but I find writing so difficult and I feel... So the writing process, whatever it is I'm writing, but particularly narrative, anything with... Sketches yeah. are bad enough, but anything with the narrative is so painful and takes me so long that my feeling, all of my feeling of myself about a writer is how lazy I am and how I give up too easily and how I got almost nothing done today or this week or this month or maybe even this year. Clap, clap, clap. And I just... Yeah, and then because it's my it's my only job and I've been doing it for a while now... Um, I, I, I have written quite a lot of stuff, but I don't feel like that guy. And I know writers who are. I know, uh, well, I mean, I always think of you two as extremely prolific. And also uh, Andy and Kevin and, um, mm. you know, other guys who I just uh, always admire the sort of... Um, what you're talking about there is basically a mixture of drive and guilt and self-hatred. Yes. That um, sounds like a pretty good mix. I wouldn't say that I am a tortured... I'm not, I don't want you to think I'm a tortured artist who, uh, you know, I'm not playing myself all the time it's just that i find writing difficult and so i i have a moderate and i believe earned level of guilt at the end of the day where i go really is that what you've done yeah you've earned some guilt today well done <laughs> well, do, you, do you not write sort of 10 till 5 or whatever then do you sort of write I'm as and when as i say i'm trying to be better at it but um i'm still not good at it and i i love the freedom of being self-employed and making my own hours
customers and having a line if I want one and working through the night if I want to, although more usually because I have to, because deadlines. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I've been doing this for long enough now that I should have got over the joy of being my own boss and just yeah worked out a system that works and probably do fewer hours but more more rigidly and more productively but i can't do it i think that isn't this this seems fairly normal i mean I, most writers i know spend their entire life looking at other writers going they've got it right yeah and it's a version of that thing you used to do at school where i'd go i can start my book project if i've got the right pen yeah and the right pen I, I've yeah. got, i'll go and buy a new book and yeah. i'll write on the front special book project yeah i don't think even stephen king doesn't do that yeah yeah absolutely and you uh you're jealous of other people's methods as well like oh that's how they use their notebook or that's all oh, that's for how you're doing your post-its in the office we're in there are post-its on the wall and i'm going oh so that's how they're right he's got uh, they've, right. Uh, they've split the second act into two i see right <laughs> <laughs> oh and someone's a, got the secret the honor is that uh, someone there's a maybe part like, of me that's going oh this is how a real writer does it oh if i was a proper writer i'd do it like that and think, we all well, I'm like definitely making it you know even if you hate my stuff even if people hate my stuff i'm definitely you know this is my only job, so I'm <laughs> at the very base level. I can put on my passport writer. That is comedy writer, indeed. That is what I do. But I still, it's not imposter syndrome exactly because I don't feel an imposter. I feel like I, I, I think I, I like my stuff. I don't feel like a fraud. I don't feel like I've, you You're know, everyone's writing great stuff and I'm writing this shit and somehow I'm getting away with it. I don't feel that. Uh, but then as, the imposter thing sneaks out in little, you know, as you, as you say, look at another writer's uh, notebook and go, oh, that looks proper. <laughs> <laughs> Our special guest today is Rufus Jones. I applaud <laughs> teachers, sirs, uh, Midnight Run, which Excellent. is a film from, I think, 1988. Uh, and it's Robert Dark De Niro. days, 1988, between the times. That's right. The Berlin Wall was, you know, nearly falling. <laughs> Teetering. Yeah, Mandela was uh, putting on his going home shoes. And, uh, and somewhere in Hollywood... An independent film is dressing itself up as a big movie studio blockbuster. That's my theory, anyway. And it's, it's a film with Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin, directed by Martin Brest, who did Beverly Hills Cop. It's probably best known for that. And it's, it, it's one of those films that I thought I only knew uh, for, about, for about 15 years. And then slowly collaborators creep out of the wallpaper. Yeah. <laughs> and you realise that when I got into comedy, you realise everyone sort of knows it and, and is either passionate about it or or just thinks yeah that's that's so much better than I thought it was going to be the yeah. final takedown which is basically the car chase done but in the airport mm. which is where suddenly the FBI it turns out that nearly everybody in the airport is working for the yeah. FBI <laughs> no one's taking a flight it's incredible <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's so, so satisfying. True. There's a lot of good overkill in this, where yeah. suddenly, sort of, if, if something happens, it happens big. One of the big advantages of being an 80s studio picture is that when they want an entire airport full of FBI agents or a shootout in the middle of New York with, with the FBI versus the mafia, it's big. That's, you know, that's 400, 500 extras <laughs> in, a, in a real airport. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I did a film a couple of years ago, a Jackie Chan film, which was in Stansted Airport. We had, we had about 150 extras. Mm. And that's huge by today's standards. Yeah. You know, and, and to do that scene in, in, in the 1980s, I guess, was relatively standard. But, but, but by today's standards, it's, um, it's enormous. I imagine the hard thing to do, I mean, you've been in action movies and you've done work with Jim Field Smith, who works in the field of action comedy a yeah. lot. Surely the hardest thing to do is to keep an eye on the fact this is meant to be fun and entertaining when you've got those great big casts. But to try and keep a lightness of touch when you've got 400 extras must be almost impossible. Because, ironically, one of the things that helps 
you in an action comedy is as long as you've got a plot that is driving, 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 and it's and it's complicated, and you've got to serve <laughs> the plot. And it's and I want to talk about that by yes. the way because the plot in this is something I conveniently ignored for twenty years and then <laughs> tried to write down and realised I couldn't. And um, by having to serve the you know the police story, I, I think it allows you you know the little oases of comedy that when they when they happen, enjoy them. But they're not going to last more than three pages because, the you know... Still you got Our special guest today is Carrie Lloyd. Hello. Award-winning Award Lloyd. Yes, I did specify. I think one of the things that's really interesting about people who do live comedy is you're trying to make people laugh in an atmosphere where you're allowed to laugh. Yeah. And you tend to not laugh when you're allowed to laugh. You tend to oh, laugh God. far deeper when you're not meant to be laughing. That's so, like, my, one of my husband, um, like, he said one of his funniest moments is him and his sister crying at their grandma's, like, granny's funeral because the the way the um, pallbearers were walking was very Monty Python-esque. <laughs> and they just... With, yeah. And they said they didn't even say anything. They both watched Monty Python they both just knew and he said he could he just knew that she was laughing about the same thing they were both trying to hold it on and they were like just crying and of course everyone thought they were crying for their granny <laughs> but they were just crying at these these slightly sort of tall skinny pool bearers walking <laughs> and I think also the thing that people forget is the release because you are extremely sad so it's not it's not like <laughs> death is funny it isn't death is horribly tragic and sad but sometimes you want to break from that so the jokes become much funnier than our at a comedy club because you're currently grieving mm. and you just want to breathe air again and jokes yeah. allow you to breathe air you're like oh there's life that's what I used to feel I used to feel happy oh right now I'm grieving again but that joke becomes like this like the coolest glass of water on the hottest <laughs> day possible because you're like oh yeah I remember when I was happy oh there it's gone <laughs> so, but it's really nice to have that moment it's I surfacing think. for air oh, yeah, like, you can't you're breathe. underwater and you yeah. come up and <gasps> yeah. normality is there and yeah. I suppose that's yeah and it's a really I think that's why it, it is a coping mechanism because it reminds you you will get over you know not over it but you will get past this particular painful moment you will get back to normal life you won't be this shell of a person and the joke allows you sort of to like time machine to fast forward and be like oh yeah there's there's me happy I'm not there yet but I can be there for you know 10 seconds in a joke yeah. Our special guest today is Davy Jones. Davy is a cartoonist and writer, most famous for doing the bits of Viz that are a bit mental. The idea in the Viz office was always that we make ourselves laugh. Yeah. Or I mean, before I went there, you know, when, when Chris was editor and that, and I, when I was reading it before I. I'd, I'd only met them a few times. Reading the comic then, I'd get the impression they were just trying to make each other laugh in the mm. office. And I, th I think that was the way it worked. You, you, you have to show a certain amount of contempt for your audience. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't be thinking all the time about what, what readers want. Well, actually, that's the reverse. I'd say that's really flattering to an audience. Yeah. Mm, Contempt for the agreed. audience would be second-guessing them and going... No, no, no yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, obviously, on the surface, you're going, I don't care what they think. Mm. But oddly, secretly, what you're saying is that you're inviting people to join a gang where you're all equals. Mm. It's, if, if you walk into a pub and people are uh, having a, a conversation, you, you wouldn't want them all to stop and say, well, what this all this came from is is this and explain everything to you, you know. Mm. You're free to sit, sit there on the corner of the table and listen if you want. Our 
Our special guest today is John Holmes. John is an award-winning comedy writer and performer and broadcaster. He's probably best known in this room for his work on The Now Show, Listen Against, and with Armando Iannucci. He holds the record for the largest fine ever for taste and decency offences in British broadcasting. Still true. And his hobby is being fired. Uh, <laughs> John, welcome to I'm the show. I'm very good at the latter of that. I don't mind telling you. I don't know. When does a hobby become a profession? What's the, what's the cut-off? I don't know. What I liked about it is that it what the, the the title wasn't a joke. It was genuinely yeah. to fulfil a contract with charisma. I think it was. Yeah. yeah, they're on a rock label. Yeah. They've got one more to do, and they've just done Life of Brian. So yes, broken in America. America loves them, and America loved them for their albums as much as anything. So someone said they're riding high. They've got loads of publicity about Life of Brian. We will squeeze the troop for one more yeah. record because they were contractually obligated to do one more record. And I, what I loved about it is was the very early on the subversive nature of that it's a kind of okay here we are we spoke we've got to do this so we're going to tell you exactly what's going on behind the scenes <laughs> and this feels like an attempt to go oh we missed that this is our punk record this is our Derek and Clive this is and it's full of absolutely unbroadcastable filth totally I mean it's, it's, it's I mean that's again that's what I think looking back at it now is what got me in because there's a track called I bet you they won't play this song on the radio right? <laughs> Yeah. and at the time you know of, of that age obviously I didn't really know about being on the radio and so but that made me go well, I'd play that on the radio if I, if I had the wherewithal. And not long after, I did, because I went on hospital radio and played that. It was more or less the first track. <laughs> because at the end of the day, weirdly, that song is entirely playable on the radio because all yes. the rude stuff is bleeped out with funny noises. Yes. And so that's the funny joke, because it is, yet it shouldn't be. And it's that's Although you might know this, that the BBC regards a beep as, as offensive as a swear word. Yeah, which so is so when, stupid. Which is ridiculous, yeah. isn't it? Because we've tried this on radio before. We've tried to smuggle stuff in and said it's it's fine just beep it as long yeah. as we can keep the line and they go no we can't keep it you have to refer beeps up just like you do with swear words that's the if you, yeah, because uh, the audience will imagine the swear word that's in there and put in a, probably a worse swear word see, than even you were intended that's what I've been told but this yeah. is ridiculous this is, it was in fact it was John Cleese wasn't it who on I'm sorry I'll read that again smuggled in the name Martha Farquhar and no one spotted it so it went out you know? yeah yeah you can do that you can be as, I mean obviously I'm sorry I haven't a clue it's full of unbroadcastable filth oh. but because they don't beep it it's completely yeah. broadcastable yeah and it, it's, that's what I don't understand about this beep thing you go because if, if I am projecting my knowledge of swear words onto a beep I all, I, how can I be offended by something that's in my own head you can't yeah. be corrupted you can't, no one's saying it out loud still I don't yeah. understand why the innuendo defence doesn't work for beeps because the innuendo defence is well if you're imagining something smutty that's not me doing exactly. it that's you, yeah. you know. so why isn't that the same our special guest today is the Emmy Award winning writer and man, David Quantic. Hello. Hello, Jason. Emmy. Hello, Joel. Hello, Hello David. Emmy. Emmy. Did you bring your Emmy with you? No, I didn't because it's so heavy. It's made of gold <laughs> and latinum and the crushed skulls of my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I once did a show. It was a really not great show. It was Prince Charles's 60th and it was a, pan it was a variety show at a panto theatre. John Cleese was the host. And so it was like, oh, my God, I'm working with John Cleese. This is the best thing ever. And then the producer phoned up and said, you know, John's a bit, he's a bit nervy at the moment. He's going through an expensive divorce with his American wife. And so I had to phone him up. I'm like, OK, I've got to phone him up and reassure him. So we had a chat and I said, oh, I'm getting divorced from an American at the moment, if that's any consolation. <laughs> so he basically said, hey, is she taking you for 12 million quid? I'm like, OK, so it's not quite that bad, although it was close. And um, then they said, John really needs someone to be with him. Oh, I could do that. I said, no, someone he knows. So I had to phone up Barry Cryer. And you know when they put a, 
they put in a, a puppy with a horse to keep it. <laughs> so like Barry was the puppy. So basically, Barry came down to the recording and just sat with John Cleese for two hours and just reminisced and then came out again. But this is a special rule of three because it's an open roundtable discussion about a subject that interests us. And the subject we're discussing today is stopping doing stand-up. And with us to discuss that are two people who have themselves stopped doing stand-up, despite having done it in the past. Uh, Carrie Quinlan, who is a performer, writer and ex-stand-up. And Mark Haynes, who is a performer, writer and ex-stand-up. Yeah, and the nicest bit to hear in there is ex-stand-up. Really? Hearing the the words ex-stand-up is just relief. It's like there's a proper weight off, isn't there? It really is. It's like, really oh, is. I don't have, I don't have to go anywhere tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and is it like not I worry about getting booed. Yeah, and, and you know, struggle the whole day to get to that point at night. It's like being ex-schoolboy. It's a good thing to have gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine, well, it lasted, but it's lovely that it stopped. It's Look. like ex-prisoner. <laughs> Ex-kidnappee. <laughs> I do remember my last gig. Just to get back to your, mm. to get back to I think it was um, at UCL, and I I I'd had a car crash in Birmingham while I was going around the country, and I'd buggered up my neck quite badly. It was a real huge smash. I'd, I'd spent about four days with a neck brace on. I arrived at the gig, and the chap who was putting on the the gig had seen the neck brace, and we, he said, oh, "What's wrong?" I said, oh, "I had a car crash." Anyway, he introduced me. He did a long fifteen-minute thing, whipping everyone up. There was a skull <laughs> alcohol promotion on, probably 200, 250 and they were—I'd say—three quarters of them were wearing plastic Viking helmets with horns on. <laughs> and it's a good sign. I, this guy is, this is my crowd, whipping them up. People were just red-faced and mad. And anyway, he said, "Oh well, let, let's get him on." Please welcome, direct from his hospital bed, it's Mark Haynes. Now, I'd taken off the fucking neck brace by this point because I'm not going on stage with a fucking neck brace that's got nothing to do with my act. So people looked and they were waiting for a gag about me being in a hospital bed. Oh, no. I mean, it was just a, a bit of a nightmare. And I'd got to the point Wrong where persona. I was standing up there and I remember just looking out at this sea of Vikings you know, I mean, it was, you know, hey, some comics die, I go to Valhalla. Uh, but I, I looked out of that and I had a couple of friends there and I, I actually cannot remember how the gig went. And I'm not saying that out of any sense of, you know, it went badly, but I've got to pretend it was good in some way. I don't imagine it went well, but I just remember thinking, I had a moment of real clarity halfway through and I just thought, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this. And the second I thought that, I had another voice that said, remember how this feels right now if you ever think about doing this again and I had a real moment I I can almost like pinpoint the beads of sweat on people's faces and I can see their open mouths and their sort of lower sets of teeth it's it's the clearest vision I have of standing on that stage and just seeing all of these people uh, and just thinking lower sets of teeth but not upper sets of teeth (laughs) and just thinking this is this is just not for me it's not for me and I I knew the act well enough at this point to begin thinking, shall I say something at the end? Shall I say... I mean, the, the people I could there, be Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> the people there would have no fucking idea uh, who I am. Black you know. <laughs> what if you've got a huge round of applause for saying, yeah. I'm never doing this again? Uh, yeah. That's, well, I'm, that's I'm, a great I'm, way to go out. Free skull for everyone. <laughs> I got one laugh. Woo! Um, but I, I ended up... Uh, it, makes me, it actually makes me cringe thinking of it. It's horrible. The Sex Pistols, when they finished... 
<laughs> this is how much time you have when you're doing your <laughs> The Sex Pistols, when they finished, they said, never get the feeling you've been cheated. Yeah. Uh, and and I ended mine by saying, I've been Mark Haynes. Ever get the feeling you've been treated? And it went to silence. <laughs> and I felt, as I walked off, like I was walking on fucking air. And I put my oh. neck brace back on and I got the fuck out of there. And I've I, I've never done it since. It would, it would I can, I can, that, that for me was probably the most important moment of my life which was not starting stand-up or doing it it was stopping it it was like taking out a spear (laughs) in my chest the greatest final line I ever heard anyone do and I can't for the life of me remember who it was and it's probably an old line but I loved it was um, it was one of those ones where sometimes you're rubbish sometimes the audience is is rubbish sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to why it doesn't go well but no one was doing well this guy finished his set with well ladies and gentlemen they say you're only as good as your audience so tonight I've been a bunch of cunts (laughs) (laughs) which was so magnificent and but that was never it's great one of the greats our special guest today is tony way good morning And even then, it can go badly wrong. I mean, I watched the Anchorman the, uh, the other day, and that works. It really works. But you, having watched it now a few times, you can really see that tons of the scenes, from a cinematographer's point of view, it's disgusting. <laughs> because it's all it's all single shots. Yeah. When I first saw it, I probably didn't. I was just laughing too much. But there's shots of Steve Carell, shots of each one of them, and you can tell it's the tenth. You know, it's just the funniest one they chose in the edit, and it's always a locked off solo shot. Really, and then there just cut to the wide after yeah the comedy director I always really rate because no one ever talks about him is Terry Jones and they're all two shots yeah they yeah. are two people who have best friends mm. making each other laugh and he locks his two shots it's a sketch isn't it you shoot yeah. a sketch in a two but they've all practiced yeah. and they've timed it and you go that's why it's funny it's got yeah, the air yeah. in it of a, of a live performance I think the loose two is I mean it's the, the office isn't it it's the office it's yeah. all of those things it is documentary in the fact that it's just documenting something funny that's happening the minute you have to crash in it's always whenever I've written it's always, I'm always loathe to write you know close up of to yeah. reveal the joke it's not it's sometimes you have to do it but it's never the most satisfying way for a joke it to might, play out it might yeah. be why those American films those, those very very improvised and then edited films feel a little bit airless yeah I mean the, the worst I've seen of it is it's another Will Ferrell film it's um, Racing Driver Talladega Nights Talladega Nights so that's once again it's fine it, it's funny I, I find Will Ferrell very funny all the yeah. time but there's a scene they keep building up Sasha Baron Cohen as the sort of rival European and he's funny in it too but there's a scene where they both meet and they go off for a walk and talk to each other and sort of try and best each other and the whole thing is disgusting to look at because it's just these two really weird close-ups you never see them together and they're clearly just saying the funniest things they can so there's no dialogue it's just two people trying to be funnier than each other and it just doesn't work in a film that does our special guest this week is Catherine Jaquez, who is a writer and performer who has done a lot of radio and a lot of TV and is probably best known for the Sony nominated North by Northamptonshire, which stars literally everyone from the entire history of sitcom. Yes, everyone that I've ever liked. That's like yeah. working with your heroes. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Did you just ask for, can I have these people because I like them? Well, actually, it was the opposite of that. Originally, I assumed I could play every part. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly did. Because it had started as a, as a one-woman show that I did at the 
Soho Theatre where oh. I literally did play all the parts including the men and so when Radio 4 um, asked me to do a script for it I handed in the script completely assuming I would play every part and I had to have a very awkward conversation with poor producer who had to say actually it doesn't really work like that on the radio you can't really <laughs> be all of the parts I mean you could maybe be in it and I mean actually there was a bit of a conversation about whether I could be in it at all but uh, yeah so I ended wow. up I think I was two characters in the first series and then we gradually just <laughs> shortened my bit and shortened my bit but the way they got around it was by saying to me well okay if you don't play the main part who who in an ideal world would you get to play it and I was like well I mean Penelope Wilton and uh, they went okay we'll ask her and she said yes so then it was like okay fair enough she probably would be better at it than me the yeah. only people you were prepared yeah, to I'm let I'm only going to relinquish control of this part to Penelope Wilson so good luck getting her <laughs> and call me back when she said yes oh she has okay fine ask yeah. impossible and then get trapped <laughs> by the response yeah Esmond and Lobby are held up as a, the sort of the, the high watermark of cosy family BBC One acceptable sitcom and the sex lives of their characters are never in any doubt you no. know that Jerry and Margot do it Absolutely, they do it all the time. It's certainly Tom and Barbara do. Yeah. And they like each other, don't they? Yes. They yes. get on, they have little private jokes, they make each other laugh. Yes. And even Martin Bryce, who can't make, you know, he wouldn't make a joke deliberately, but they they enjoy each other's company, I think, fundamentally. He drives her mad, but it's important, and it's really important that we think that she likes him, because we like her so much. And I think Anne is such a character that you know you'd have a laugh with, and if you went out for a drink with Anne, you'd, you'd have a good time. She's funny, she's bright, she's... Yep. You know, I think she's a brilliant role model, not necessarily in a marriage, but she if you have a mate who you really like and you meet their partner and you think, God, I can't see quite what she sees in him. <laughs> but if you really trust your mate, then you think, well, there must be hidden depth to him. And I think it's yeah. important that we like Anne so much because we trust her. That's why we think Martin's probably not the monster that he comes across as. She reflects well on him. Yes, that's yeah. true. If you try to imagine Martin Bryce and a wife who was you know, just almost off stage. Yeah. You'd think this is the worst human being I've ever yeah, encountered. Yeah, you would, you? Because absolutely. Because you know that, that the context is this is his marriage yeah. and they're very much in love. Yeah, and, and you his, trust and her enough. And his wife enough. can see the good things in him yeah. constantly. You, then you get over the fact that he is... Yeah. A dreadful human yeah, being. She's exactly. a character witness for him. Yes, that's exactly what she is. <laughs> Our special guest today is the magnificent... Matthew Holness. Hello, Matt. Hello, hi. Hello. I, I, my brain has been telling me all day, don't call it Dark Merengue's Garth Places. <laughs> so, I've, yeah, start off, Garth Merengue's Dark Place. Did it. Hooray. Hello. Went to see the Pythons on their kind of, you know, farewell tour, which mm. was... And you got a real sense that, oh, my God, they're so, you know, they've been such a huge part of our lives. But even now, listening to this album, you get a sense that they're kind of, they're kind of nailed what being British has and always will be like because in a sense I, I keep getting this sense of like how shit the country's going to go <laughs> yeah, very soon um, it, and it's kind of all there in this album because it's got the aspiration of wanting to have bought the more the executive version of this yeah. record knowing that basically if you buy the normal one it's going to be shit so you buy the executive version and even that shit and even that they can't get that right because bits that- of the shit version have, have sort of <laughs> crept into the executive version so it's full of mistakes and it's full of errors all the executive version yeah. is, is a label yeah. this is a cousin of there's a, a lovely episode of Flying Circus which John Cleese introduces from a greasy spoon calf and it says yeah. live from the Grillo Matt <laughs> snack bar and it's in the same way they would have done live from London's glittering yeah. West End this is a pastiche of that very thin veneer of London Palladium yeah. Saturday big night out Bruce Forsyth high kicking chorus girl glamour that it's, the 70s attempted to manage over the top of I don't know bin bags piling up in Leicester Square yeah, I mean, this is the f- the feel of this album is a little bit. You know, in the in the series where. 
where you've got the Eric Idle character who's constantly he's he's the, he's the nightclub host and he's constantly sort of wringing his hands oh. together <laughs> his oily hands and he's sort of smoothing down the front of his trousers and a lot of this album comes from the toilets you know the, the gents yes. in yes. so there's that kind of feel that you know they're trying to it's just what there's a really sleazy kind of atmosphere to this album blackmail yeah. yeah. the address is behind the hot water pipes at yeah. Victoria Station I'm fascinated by that seedy side mm. of Britain I mean I know you are yeah. especially when you look back to your childhood and you realise that, that it was paper thin that ever since Suez yeah. ever since the loss of Empire Britain has been pulling its Timbrook Taylor Union Jack waistcoat yeah. over an ever expanding gut yeah <laughs> <laughs> our special guest today is Izzy Sussy hello uh, hello and I feel because it's true that I can tell it I've got the right to tell it yes. and I've got the right to go into detail of how sad I was and mm. how it was a really sad and horrible time and it's like the only good thing that came out of that period and I think if I'd written it it wouldn't be the same because it would I wouldn't have lived through it um, but then I think there's a certain skill to writing things that are completely made up that sound real and I think the key is for me at least um, God, this is the most middle class thing I've ever said. But have you ever made kefir the drink? No. <laughs> no. Right, okay. Well, with kefir. Where's this going? Well, my mum has made it a few times and she was like, oh, it's very easy. You just get these seeds from eBay. And, and, and then I spoke to her about we later and she said, oh, it's awful. I've abandoned it. They were all in the cupboard and they've got <laughs> too warm. Anyway, um, I think the way I understand it is you get a piece of muslin and you only have to have like a small amount of these kefir seeds or whatever with the good bacteria in them and you pour milk through the muslin and then it becomes kefir if you leave it that's a sort of very simple explanation of it but like the action of yeast yeah exactly it's it's a reactive thing it's an agent so you only need as far as i understand it quite a small bit of kefir in order to make loads of new kefir and i think the key for me when i've had to do things like say with my radio series which are based in truth and the characters are based in real characters and some of the time they are real people but i might have changed their names then other times i've had to change a few other elements of them because i think when you're writing about real people you have a responsibility not to upset them and that's because i am uh, the biggest people pleaser you could ever meet (laughs) i think you need a, a seed sometimes a kernel of of complete pure truth and that somehow opens the door to it's like a tree that grows branches so then you get all these things which feel true but have but are actually perhaps um, a slightly twisted truth or perhaps it's something that one of your mates has done but you sort of steal it across to give to this character or and I think for me the key has to be that you have a truth or two that are quite fundamental things like even something simple like my friend carries a phone charger with her at all times she's so scared of her phone running out of battery and I think that's a really interesting quality because it is yeah. that idea that you can't live without your phone I think something <laughs> that's quite idiosyncratic to that person and then actually then it's like the whole thing suddenly takes shape and you can go anywhere with that story as long as that initial little bit of yeast was yeah. real it'll react with the fictions you've got and yeah. give them flavour and depth yeah. that's a really interesting idea I've never thought of that, that well, I think emotional truth or truth in a detail like that yeah I think it has to be as 
as, as, as tiny a detail as possible. Because I think what happens is when you've been, like you have, writing comedy for a while, and like I have as well, I think at first you've got all these stories and it's like you've got them all at your fingertips and, you know... I, when I was on stage, I ironically, you're not as good at performing at the beginning, so you can't make the most of the stuff, <laughs> yeah. and then you use it up on your first Edinburgh show, mm. and then ten years later, you go, "Fuck, I wish I'd." But of course, that's not the way it works, you know. Um, and bands sometimes do that, don't they? They do these, you know, one or two brilliant albums, and then they have an interesting period where they're more experimental. Or whatever. I think it's because you, a, I think you kind of run out of energy a bit, and you go, "Oh, I think I'll learn how to cook Thai chicken curry instead of writing a song for seven hours." But also, um, but also I think um, you have to move to a different creative space I suppose without sounding too wanky like you haven't got all those stories at your fingertips and you haven't so I think you have to think more creatively about how you write and I think you how you, you mine for you're looking for another seam of, 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 of gold yeah because you've you, like, go deeper, like, like yeah yeah exactly you but you might not need as much gold no, because you yeah, you're jewelry. hopefully more skilled as well. Yeah. At, um, and I think you can you become quicker, don't you, at going, oh, that needs to move there. And that I mean, at yeah. the beginning, you're just kind of like... <laughs> you, realize you always need that seed of reality. Even the silliest things we've done. We've done projects which have just been absolute writing for hire and stuff. And the best material, the stuff you do fastest, that again, it does feel like a, a reactive process in, in cooking or with yeast or something that you need little bits of truth in there and suddenly they 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 replicate and and you're writing faster than you would yeah. do because you're not having to reach for made up stuff yeah. it's all coming naturally to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or 
or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.